Welcome to Real Crime NYC, where you'll hear real crime stories told by real New York City cops. Join Chris, Bill, and I for this hot topic. You've all probably heard on the news a story about a man named Alex Murdoch in South Carolina who was recently convicted of killing his wife and son. And you might be thinking, hey, this is old news. They've done it ad infinitum. We come at it with a new twist. We'd like to discuss all of the peripheral debts associated with this family. And there are many. Pat, based on the feedback we're getting from the last podcast we did on the Murdoch murders, one of the things that people requested is just giving a little background, setting the stage for what we're going to talk about today. It seems like this family is very complex, the makeup of it, some of the stories, some of the deaths associated with it. I think it will help the listeners understand better about what we're going to discuss today. So let me set the stage and give you a little background information. The family tree. Richard Murdoch is the father, although he's called Alex. He's known to everyone as Alex. He's the father. He was convicted of murder, and he's facing many, many other counts on indictments for everything from fraud to drug trafficking. Maggie Murdoch is the wife who was murdered by Alex. He was found guilty of that, so we're safe to say she was murdered by him. Paul is the other son. He was also murdered by Alex. And Buster is the surviving son. So you have Alex, the father, Maggie, the wife, Paul, the murdered son, and Buster, the surviving son. The backstory on the Murdoch family is real interesting. Where does the family originate from? They're from what's called the low country of South Carolina. And it's a very uh, poor area. And that family was, was a dynasty of sorts in that area. From 1920 to 2006, three men, all named Randolph Murdoch, were basically the prosecutor for that district in South Carolina, held a lot of power. Basically, the DA is is what we would call it. So they controlled all of the criminal prosecutions in that section of South Carolina. Randolph Sr., the original Murdoch, also founded a law office that handled civil litigations in 1910, and that still exists today. They had a tight grip on that community. So if you think about it, that family controlled all the criminal prosecutions and a lot of the civil cases that went to court in that part of South Carolina. Very, very powerful family and influential in politics. You know, in addition to these murders that Alex has been convicted of, there are three other deaths surrounding this family. And that's a lot of debt to be surrounding one family by one degree of connection. There's a male named Stephen Smith, who's found dead in 2015 on a rural backwards road. They determined that was blunt force trauma. He's rumored to be in a relationship with the surviving son, Buster. You have Gloria Satterfield in February of 2018. She's the longtime housekeeper for the Murdoch family. And she's alleged to have had a fall, ends up dying after some time in a hospital from that. And then you have Mallory Beach, who's a young woman who's a friend of the dead son, Paul's, who dies in a boating accident. That's a lot of debt to be surrounding this one family. But you have to admit, this is a very unusual family. So why don't we we get into some of these murders? Uh, Stephen Smith, 2015, he's a nursing student. Uh, What do you got, guys? So Stephen Smith is a 19-year-old male who was a former high school classmate of Busta. There was some belief that Stephen and Busta had an intimate relationship. That night, Stephen was traveling on that dark, lightly traveled highway, and his car broke down. Later that night, he's found in the middle of the roadway with blunt force trauma to the head, broken ribs, 
with no explanation of how it happened. It looked like it was a somebody staged that he got hit by the vehicle, but there was one problem with it. The injuries weren't consistent with the vehicle hitting him. He had uh, loose clothing on, including his shoes that was still on his body, which was kind of odd if he were to get hit by a car. And there was a lot of questions that surrounded this whole incident. It's believed that Stephen called Buster to help him out uh, with the car being broken down. And Buster came with possibly two other people and picked him up unbeknownst to anybody how he was found laying in the middle of the road. Well, Chris, it's, it's very possible that that part of the story about Buster being called out to help him, that part of it could be fictitious also. And we don't know. I mean, the local authorities ruled this a hit and run. But with the power of that family in that part of uh, South Carolina, anything's possible. This what is I true. Anything is possible. Some of the problems are during that investigation, Buster was named multiple times on the police reports and nobody interviewed Buster. There was very little investigation done into this incident. What I find interesting about this is in the police reports, they find no sign of a vehicle accident that Stephen's vehicle is three miles from where he was found dead. He has his shoes on, there's blunt trauma, his cell phone's still in his pocket, and supposedly his car ran out of gas. And one theory is he was walking. Another theory is, is that he called Buster. Buster was returning from a softball tournament, and his home is not far from where this car was stranded and where this body was found. So now you have a body in the street. There's no signs of a vehicle accident. And on one of the police reports, it said, it looks like there may be foul play involved. And if you're at a softball tournament, what do you probably have in your car? Bingo, a bat. <laughs> Bingo, <laughs> Bingo, a, a bat. softball bat, which would cause broken ribs and, and blunt force trauma to the head and other parts of the body that you might want to disguise as a hit and run, although they never pursued that investigation and never found any vehicle involved. Well, they never interviewed Buster. Did they subpoena any phone records of Buster? Did they even look at the cell phone records of Steven? We don't know what was actually done in this case, but we do know that this case was reopened two weeks after the double murder of Maggie and Paul. So to me, that looks like, you know, the initial investigation in 2015, maybe due to political influence, maybe due to family influence, some of these leads that they had, the initial investigators, they may have kind of looked the other way. They may and, have- And Buster's not being interviewed could just simply be a, a function of the fact that his family's all attorneys and he knew better than to talk to the authorities. Also, in one of the reports I was reading, it looks like someone from the Murdoch family reached out to the Smith family and offered their services to help with the investigation, which is odd. I mean, this family's reaching out to the Smith family. Hey, we'll help you with the investigation. When their name, Buster's name is all over the initial reports and he was never interviewed. Well, that's a theme that runs through all three of these peripheral debts, as we'll call them, is that they offered assistance that, you know, at first blush looks like they're trying to help. But what they're actually probably trying to do is control all of the information that's coming out of the parties to protect themselves. It seems that way. But don't forget, this is a small town and they control everything. The everything. And they, they have the biggest law firm. They would probably be the law firm they would go to anyway. I'm sure there's not much competition in a small town like this. Yeah. So strange death. We have, uh, you know, Stephen Smith. This is 2015 in July. He's a nursing student. He's openly gay. It's alleged that he's in a relationship with the son, Buster. And, you know, he's found dead on the road under suspicious circumstances that aren't exactly vetted through by a thorough investigation. So that's the first one we're talking about. And I have to add, 
this is all just conjecture on our part. I mean, we're using the information we know. We have no inside scoop on this. So this is just us theorizing what may or may not have happened. So the second peripheral death involved with this family, I mean, uh, let me let me just say, how many cases do you know where you've investigated a family for a multiple murder, and it turns out there's three or four other deaths associated with the immediate members of that family. It's unheard of. And it's like a crazy story. It's like watching White Lotus going through this whole scenario, this whole family. I mean, it's just bizarre. I mean, there's no other way to explain it. If we made it up as a fictional story, we would probably say, hey, you went a little overboard. It's too over the top. And another thing is detectives hate a coincidence. And there's just too many coincidences here. So let's get right into the second death. The second death is Gloria Satterfield. That happened in February of 2018, three years after the Stephen Smith death. She's the longtime housekeeper for the Murdoch family. And on February 2nd of 2018, the story goes she fell down the front stairs to the, uh, the hunting lodge, Moselle it's called, maybe tripped over the dog. But she actually dies on February 26th in a hospital after a lot of complications and a stroke, all as a result of this fall. So... Where does this one take us? There's a few things here. This housekeeper is also Paul's nanny of 20 years. She knows all the family secrets. Prior to this incident, she finds a lot of drugs in the house that she believed was Alex, and she tells Paul about the drugs. On this day, she's walking up the outside front stairs, and somehow she falls backwards, hitting a head. Alex gives a police report that she told him she tripped on the dogs, but Alex was nowhere around the scene when EMS got there. EMS reports that Alex was not present. So that starts some suspicious activity. There's no autopsy done on Gloria. She dies in the hospital and it's presumed to be an accident. One month prior to Gloria's death, Alex takes out a $4.3 million insurance policy on the house. Let me just break in there for a minute. When you mentioned she died in the hospital, she did die in the hospital 20 some odd days later. And apparently she did have a stroke at some point in there. And in New York, it might have happened that way too. A doctor from the hospital signed off on the death certificate. So that could actually be a legitimate explanation why there was no autopsy or medical examiner's review for it. However, that death certificate erroneously lists natural causes as the cause of death. Even when we've had suspicious deaths where incidents happened years ago, the family would still report it. We've had arrests for perpetrators for murder when the victim got into an incident many years ago. It causes the death. We've had that. We've made arrest for murder when a victim had an incident many years ago, which caused his health problems. You, know you need what? somebody to case, report that it's suspicious. In this case, it could have happened anywhere, I think, the way that it happened. But being that the family knows the system, I believe that they plead the system, knowing that there are all flaws in the system. And in this case, it comes over like any day in New York City or any day anywhere, somebody falls. There's no criminal suspicion. You know, they fall. You got somebody that calls in, hey, they tripped over the dog, they fell, they go into the hospital. But I think- 20 no, some odd days later, she dies. Right, 20 some, she's in the hospital, 20 some odd days And she had dies. a stroke in the meantime. Right, so at first glance, you look at it and you say- Who's looking? Right, it would be the doctor, it would be a family member, it would be somebody that would say, hey, look, this just doesn't sound right for the following reasons. And nobody along the way had said that until you have the double murders. And then now they're exhuming the body. But I would say there were certain things that when you look back, this woman 
raised Paul. So since he was two years old, he felt more comfortable, at least from what I'm reading, he felt more comfortable speaking to this woman than his own mom. And she felt comfortable talking to Paul. She finds drugs under the bed of Alex and lets Paul know. So now, does Paul tell Maggie? Does Paul get offended over this? Is there something that triggers them against this woman and cause them to do some foul play, let's say? But I think when you're looking at it now and you say, she's going to get her check, she goes to the home, she walks up the steps, and she falls backwards, hitting her head. Alex calls in, and he's not there, and says, she said to him, she tripped over the dog, or the dog tripped her, or somehow the dog was involved. How she was able to say that when she never spoke at any time in those 24 some odd days from when it happened till when she died, nobody could answer that. There are a lot of questions here, but when she goes to the hospital, the doctor never raised any alarm to there could be foul play. Let's put our detective hats on here, guys. If they really wanted her dead, why would they let her leave the scene alive? If they actually murdered her, why would they let an ambulance come before she was dead and take her to the hospital and have her actually survive? So what I think happened here is they took advantage of a pretty unfortunate accident where she fell down the stairs Maybe she was even tripped, but she fell down the stairs and they said, hey, you know, she's got a huge life insurance policy on her. We got an opportunity to make some money here and get rid of someone who knows an awful lot of bad stuff about our family. You're assuming she fell down the stairs and that's just based off of Alex's statements. You don't know if she was hit in the head. Why did they let her survive to go to the hospital to possibly come back and tell that story about being assaulted? She's got a bad injury. She's not moving. Maybe they thought she was there with a low heartbeat. EMS gets there. Now it's too late. You can't do anything. Why are they calling EMS right away? Well, you have to. You have to report it. You have to get rid of the body. After she's you, dead. We're only going on what Alex says. Doesn't mean it actually happened that way. Doesn't mean she actually fell down the stairs. How many times have you seen somebody walking up the stairs and trip backwards and hit their head and die? It's very odd. It yeah, doesn't back, make the sense. Of head, the, the back of a head, especially. I mean, she yes, hits. it doesn't and, make. I can see tripping forward. You're walking up the stairs. In order to go backwards, you either have to be walking backwards, like somebody's going towards you, or you have to be pushed. I mean, could I, this? I head, think you're using a little confirmation bias there. I'm I mean, using common sense, and common sense sometimes does not apply to these situations. Agree, but there's nobody who could have happened. Look at this. Could have happened any which way. Exactly. I mean, now you have a 4.3 million dollar insurance policy that he contacts this woman's two sons and says, "Look, I'll get this lawsuit. I'll make sure that my insurance company's sued." And they never hear anything about it. And the thing that's really concerning is, and it goes to this family's character, is that while this was going on, they get the 4.3 million dollars. The Murdoch family gets it, Alex gets it, and one of the boys actually loses his mobile home through foreclosure. And never does this family reach out and say, hey, we could help you. I mean, how much is a mobile home? How much is the foreclosure? They just stole $4.3 million from out of this tragic incident with this woman, whether she was murdered, whether she accidentally fell down those steps. But they stole $4.3 million. The kid is losing the mobile home. And not once do they reach out and say, hey, let me give you some money. And even if there wasn't a $4.3 million insurance policy, this woman worked for them for over 20 years. She was so close to the family, so close to Paul. Like, wouldn't you want to help out her kids? 
Well, I mean, it goes to the character. I mean, it's just terrible. Yeah, that's what a, a normal person would think. But when you're dealing with a man who could actually kill his wife and child, you're dealing with an unrational, irrational person here. And he's well, he, been indicted for for defrauding people out of their lawsuit money for years, is what we know now. So it wasn't unusual for him to engage in people for some kind of a lawsuit. And another running threat is this guy, Corey Fleming who's also accused and indicted in some of the same criminal matters. And he was involved. Alex actually suggested to the surviving brothers, Gloria's uh, sons, that this attorney Fleming could help them. And he conspired with Alex to steal the money from the two the two sons. Yeah, he's got no job. He's fired. He's got a massive estate. He's got a huge drug problem. He's going to need every nickel of that money. There's a pattern developing here. If you notice... These are smart people, they're lawyers, they know how to play the system. And every scenario that we have here, somebody from the family is reaching out to somebody that died's family. Then you have on both sides, you have prosecutors that know the family, you got law enforcement that know the family, you got the legal system that knows the family. I mean, the grandfather's picture was up in the courtroom. I mean, that's how deep seated they are into the legal system there. And then you got the other end too, where they're representing people on lawsuits. I mean, this case here is really bizarre. It's really troubling. And at the end of the day, they didn't reopen this until after the double murders, where they're exhuming the body. There was no autopsy done on this woman. You have a pattern here of arrogance and desperation. A rich, powerful family. Untouchable. Untouchable that gets themselves webbed and tangled in this web of lies and debts, and now they have to get out of it. And they believe they're above the law, and they can do anything to get themselves free. And their normal feelings of being untouchable and entitled, now the head of the household, who's basically running everything, Alex, his uh, motivations and his thoughts are fueled by this drug problem that he has. There's even allegations that he might have been involved with a cousin of some drug distribution. So you could see how this entitled family went from being the dynasty in that part of South Carolina to spinning out of control. But we have another death here to discuss, the third one, and that's the death of Mallory Beach. And that happened more recently in 2019. She's a friend of the son Paul's, and Paul was operating a boat owned by Alex, thought to be intoxicated at the time, and ran the boat into a bridge, killing Mallory Beach and injuring some other people on the boat. That's number three. And that wasn't very uh, well investigated either. So again, we have a, a death that's not locked into very well, and it's the Murdoch family that's involved. Surprise, surprise. I mean, this case here, you got six people on a boat. It's February of 2019. Paul is supposedly, everybody says in the community, a small community, they say that he's the wild child. He takes this boat out supposedly because that night there was going to be a lot of checkpoints if they would have driven, and he didn't want to get stopped by law enforcement. So he decided to take the boat out to these different bar locations. So he goes, he buys $50 worth of liquor. He uses his brother Buster's ID to purchase the liquor, and then they go on the boat. And it's a night of drinking. And from what I've read about this case, he was really arrogant. They go from one bar to another. They're continuing to drink. And then at some point, he starts getting belligerent. 
to his girlfriend. This is Paul and Paul's girlfriend. And he gets physical with her. I think he slaps her in the face. He's screaming at her, calling her offensive names. They're on this boat. At some point, the throttle's accelerated. He's in a heated discussion with his girlfriend. And then it hits the Archer Creek Bridge. It hits the pillar of it. Mallory is on her boyfriend's uh, lap, and she ends up getting launched into the, uh, the water, and they can't find her. Yeah, one thing I find the very interesting about this whole situation is when Alec gets involved, now again, the arrogance and desperation comes in, and he immediately takes over and says, we represent all the kids involved, and he actually tries to put the blame on Connor as driving the boat. And he tells Connor's parents, you know, Connor was driving the boat. And Connor's parents didn't believe him. They said, how is he driving Paul's boat? What the family did, they hired a biomechanical engineer who reconstructed where each passenger was sitting in that boat. And based on the injuries of Mallory and based on Connor's injuries, there was no way that Connor was driving the boat. And they believed Mallory was sitting in the back of the boat. And when the boat crashed, the impact threw her forward, which caused her to hit her head. And then she drowned. They did a reconstruction, which would happen, which should happen at any vehicle of boating accident, which is a death. So this is a boating incident. There's a death. Law enforcement responds right away. Who was driving it? And they should do an alcohol test. They should do- So they don't do the alcohol test. They don't. They don't do it. And they actually don't even speak to Paul at any point in time. Now, you could say he lawyered up or he didn't lawyer up. But the point the is, test. there's standard operating procedures when it comes to this. And again, the family's so inbreded in that community that I believe that law enforcement was hesitant. I think the lead investigator for the first 24 hours is somehow connected to the family. So now maybe he's resistant to do things that would offend the family. But if the standard protocol was put in place here, you would have Paul that would be questioned by law enforcement, he would probably be given a breathalyzer, offered a breathalyzer. He goes to the hospital. They draw blood. His blood levels are three times the levels of what it should be. So clearly, he's intoxicated. And then you got his family going into the hospital, getting access to rooms where the families weren't even allowed, but his family's allowed into rooms, tampering with witnesses. Hey, Connor was driving the boat, right? No. It was Paul driving the boat, but they're trying to manipulate people into saying Connor was driving the boat. So you have all of this going on. Who notified the family member of the missing girl? Law enforcement didn't. Law enforcement never once notified the family member of this missing girl, this girl that drowned in the water. She actually blunt trauma at her head, and then she drowned. There's another running thread that enters into this case, and it's Corey Fleming, the attorney. One of the kids that was in the boat, his family wanted to pursue a, uh, a lawsuit for the injuries he sustained in that boating accident, you know, allegedly at the hands of, of Paul Murdoch. And who did they refer him to? Corey Fleming. We've heard that name before, you know? So uh, again, an attempt to control all sides of this. It took three months for them to bring Paul into court to be arraigned. If this was the average person that was drinking and driving, whether it's a boat or a car, they would have been arrested that night. Three months it took them. Seven and, days for an indictment. And you know what the crazy thing about all of this? If they would have just handled this the way that they were supposed to, the town, the legal system, 
Paul would be in jail and he would never be dead today. Yeah, another interesting fact, Michael Thomas, he's a executive in the Department of Natural Resources. He's an agent uh, for the DNR agency. He gives a press conference the very next day on scene about the incident. They have the investigation. They're running with the investigation. Michael's best friend is Paul's uncle, one of Alex's brothers. It's all entangled. They're all entangled together. You would think there's 20 law enforcement agents on that scene from different agencies. Somebody would have put him on body cam. Somebody would have smelt the alcohol on his breath. He should not have walked away from that scene without handcuffs being on him. We would have done it on a regular D-wing, a regular driving accident. It was clear having a blood alcohol level of, of that magnitude. It was clear he was drunk. It was visible. He should have been walking away in handcuffs. So all of these deaths surrounding this one family, it's highly, highly unusual. But I think the real question here is, did the Murdochs cause these deaths? Did the Murdochs take advantage of unfortunate situations where people died? Or is it a combination of the two, where maybe Smith was murdered and Satterfield and Beach, they just took advantage of some unfortunate situations where people died, you know, as a result of their actions, probably. But like I said, the de detectives hate coincidence. Well, I could tell you Mallory was killed. Whatever way you want to call it, it was a reckless conduct on behalf of Paul that caused this woman's death, this young girl's death. I agree. Well, you have and Anthony on the scene telling the police officers, Paul killed her. He was drinking. He killed her. Right. Still nothing was done. So, you, you know, definitively, out of the three deaths, one definitely. Then you go back to Smith. Maybe. I mean, it, the facts just don't add up. And then you, you have the housekeeper. What happened there? I don't know if we'll ever know. Spiraling out of control. It's, it's spiraling. And then, crazy. You can't make this up. He calls 911 one day and says someone shot him in the head. He hires, this is Alex. You can't make this up. He hires his cousin, who's a drug dealer, to shoot him in the head for a $10 million insurance policy. Yeah, he, he, said, wanted, he wanted Buster to get that $10 million insurance payout. But the cousin botches the shooting, and he just wings him in the head. He didn't kill him. This is crazy. No. So you could add, that, that's actually the fourth of what would have been the fourth death had the cousin done it right. Right. It's Not including the two murders of, of the wife and the son, Paul. All right, so that's our hot topic regarding the Murdoch family of South Carolina and how power and privilege, you know, add some drugs into the mix and it spirals into chaos. And that's that. Thank you for joining us for this hot topic on Real Crime NYC. Hit subscribe and follow us for free access to the most up-to-date episodes. You could find Real Crime NYC on Spotify, Apple, Facebook, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Pat. I'm Chris. And I'm Bill. We'll see you when we see you.